the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Um, welcome, everybody, to uh, Let Us Reason podcast. This is Al Fadi, and this is part two of our podcast that we started it last time, talking to our uh, amazing friend and uh, brother in Christ, Joel Richardson, and about his new book that just been published called From, Zion, uh, From Sinai to Zion, about the uh, amazing return, of course, of our Lord. And last time, uh, Joel did an excellent job in unpacking the book, at least in general. Today, I'm hoping that he will dig a little bit deeper into the topic. So, once again, brother, um, a quick background about the book. How many parts you said? It's three parts? Three parts. Yeah, yeah it's about 360 pages, 365 pages. And, uh, yeah, as you already mentioned, I'm only selling the hardcover on my website, on the store, on joelstrumpet.com. And for those that are considering it, uh, I do sign every copy. That's one good thing. If you get it through Amazon, it's not even available through Amazon, but I do sign it, and that allows you to get an extra 50 cents for it when you sell it on eBay. There you go. And, folks, I know he's being generous and saying it's available for free at a PDF. Please consider to buy uh, the book or at least donate through Partner with His Ministry section on his website. And we have the information for you how to uh, do so and how to connect with our brother. So, um, wh what are the parts that you feel like you can really expound a little bit deeper without, you know, um, giving up the whole book right now? <laughs> That's okay. So, um, so, we have to understand that in the same way that Genesis 3.15 is understood, rightly so, as a foundational messianic prophecy, so also is Deuteronomy 33, hmm. often, almost universally overlooked. Not universally, but almost. And so Deuteronomy 33 is referred to as the blessing of Moses. These are actually the, word, the last words that Moses spoke before he died. It says so. Um, and like uh, Jacob before him, Moses is essentially blessing the 12 tribes of Israel as a father. It's a blessing, but yet they're, they're a prophetic blessing. They're like prophecies, but they're a blessing. But it starts out. And it says this. It says, God, most English translations will say, God came from Sinai, the Holy One from Mount Paran. He dawned forth. He shined forth from Seir. Okay? So now people will say, well, it says God came, past tense. It's talking about the Exodus. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that the verb tense in the Hebrew is actually in the perfect verbal tense. So when you have the Hebrew perfect verbal tense, it can be translated came, is coming, will come. It can be any of the above, any of the above past, present, future, or ongoing. And translators determine which tense they use in the English that they render in the English based on context. So translators look at this text 
And they say, well, it's talking about Sinai. Therefore, it must be past tense. But the truth is, it could just as legitimately, completely just as legitimately be translated as God will come from Mount Sinai. The Holy One will come from Seir. He will mm-hmm. shine and dawn, for, dawn forth uh, upon us from the south. So Paran, Seir, these are regions down in Jordan. You know, so if you're in Jerusalem, you're looking down toward northwest Saudi Arabia, down through Jordan, it mentions some of these premier mountains, these landmarks in that region. And, and the Lord is portrayed in anthropomorphic form. He's essentially marching forward from the south, and he's also shining like the dawning of the sun. And then it says this. It says, out of his right hand is either fire or lightning is shooting out of his right hand. And it goes on. In, in quite some detail, and it, you have all of the prophecies given to the different 12 tribes. But then in verse 27, that's where it says, There is none like the God of Jeshurun, who rides across the heavens to save us and who comes on the clouds. Some translations will say, Who marches through the deserts. And by the way, this Deuteronomy 33, for what it's worth, is also, it comes to us in the most ancient archaic Hebrew in the whole Bible. So if you're reading the original Hebrew, it would be like reading a modern English translation coming to Deuteronomy 33, and all of a sudden it's King James. Mm -hmm. It's very ancient. And so scholars wrestle with, that's why you'll see quite a variety among the different translations. It's a difficult portion. It's very ancient. It's unarguably one of the most ancient portions of the whole Bible. But so here's the thing, is... Scholars essentially say, well, we know that God didn't, Yahweh didn't literally march before his people as a man. He led Israel in the form of a pillar of cloud uh, by day and fire by night. And they say, so this is just essentially flamboyant, poetic, over-dramatization. You know, it's not literal. But the fact is, you have all of these themes, all of these motifs. God comes. God comes from heaven with his holy angels on the clouds to save his people, and he's in the form of a man. You look at the very first reference to the return of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew um, 16, verse 27. Jesus says this, Then the Son of Man, what's he quoting? Daniel 7. Right. The Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father. This language of the glory of God is that's harking back to this image imagery of shining forth, radiating forth like the radiating sun, like the, the dawning of the sun. And it says he will come um, in the glory of his Father with all of his holy angels. And then he will deal out punishment to the wicked, and he will then reestablish himself. It says he will sit on his throne of glory. Mm-hmm. That's the first reference to the return of Jesus, and it has God comes, That's from Deuteronomy 33. It has with his holy angels. That's also in Deuteronomy 33. He comes with myriads of his holy ones. I didn't mention that. So all of these themes, all of these motifs that originate there are later applied to his second coming. And it develops, again, in the same way the Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelic, in the same way that the crushing one in that prophecy develops, the way that it grows and it expands throughout the Old Testament, so also does Deuteronomy 33 grow and the story expands and all of the elements of the story are completely filled out in the New Testament. But actually what's so amazing is much of it gets filled out in the Old Testament. Like in order to understand the return of Jesus, we don't even necessarily 
have to even turn to the New Testament. It's all there in the Old Testament. That's what's so amazing. Amen. Amen. Uh, Edmund, thank you so much, by the way, for um, uh, your super sticker and for your super chat. We appreciate it, uh, really. And uh, Vivian, by the way, you, you mentioned something about coffee. Uh, the studio deprived me from my coffee. I know you're used to me having my big cup, so you can tell that I'm shaking already, right? So uh, they're used to me having a cup of coffee all the time. <laughs> but what time? What time are we at? We're at, we're at five thirty. You want to? Yeah. So uh, again, thank you for those of you who are joining us on this. Uh, also, not necessarily just the live stream, but also the podcast. Let us reason. Obviously, we're. Uh, going through the new book by um, author Joel Richardson called From Sinai to Zion. And I thought you've done a beautiful job, really, in how you're unpacking the, even the Hebrew. And uh, that passage, by the way, is fascinating to me. Uh, you know that Muslims sometimes use it to try to claim that it is about Jesus, uh, about Muhammad, when in right. fact it's talking about the Lord very clearly, of course. Right. Yeah. yeah. So what else, brother? Uh, what are the treasures that are in the book that people can really learn from? So Habakkuk 3 is, uh, scholars refer to it as the great theophany passage. It's the longest, most detailed theophany in the whole Old Testament, which is the appearing of God. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we could talk about Habakkuk all by itself. It's amazing. It's, it's one of my absolute favorite passages in the Bible. And very few people have really studied Habakkuk chapter 3, if they're honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it describes, once again, it describes God radiating and shining forth from the south. And this whole imagery, by the way, of God coming from the south and shining like the sun, we have to understand it's, there's an irony there because the sun rises in the east. But here, it's like the sun is rising in the south. But it's not the sun. It's God himself. And so in it, it, you have almost identical language at the beginning of Habakkuk 3, which is called the prayer uh, of Habakkuk, mm-hmm. uh, a shignioth. And it's actually written in the form of a song, of a liturgical song that would have been sung in the synagogues. We'll come back to that in a minute. But it uses almost identical language as it introduces. God is coming from Timan, the Holy One from Mount Paran. He's shining forth. But then it says this plague goes before him. Pestilence goes behind him. So he's pouring out the wrath of God. And it actually says this. It says, rays shoot out of his hand where his power is hidden. It's as though the glory of God contained in the human body of the Messiah, of which the Old Testament has already prophesied. It's as though the veil can't hold it and the radiating glory of God is shooting out, but it's, it's shooting out as if it's part of the wrath of God on his enemies. So the plagues and the pestilence obviously ties back to the Exodus uh, account, but it's in the context of this messianic deliverance. And it's, it's a beautiful chapter. It actually arguably talks about him splitting the sea again. Um, again, I have a chapter where I present the biblical case that when Jesus returns, he will split the Red Sea once again. Um, and then it says this, and I love this. And again, this harkens back to Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelion, the prophecy of the crushing one. It says this, it says, He will crush the head of the house of evil, laying him open from thigh to neck. There's one translation that says it will he'll flay him open from tail to neck, mm-hmm. kind of alluding to the fact that it's the Messiah 
that's going to crush the dragon, the serpent, right? as well as the Antichrist, of course, who is the serpent's puppet. But, you know, it's just, it's these passages that speak of the ultimate culmination of redemption. Now, scholars will admit that Habakkuk 3 is messianic. They'll admit that that's talking about the Messiah, even though it's clearly reflecting Deuteronomy 33. Now, let me throw this one out. Not only are there numerous biblical passages that deal with this, but also there is a non-biblical, very important book, which is the book of Enoch. Look at that. You get your copy. No more no more deprivation. Yeah, I was I was complaining enough, I guess, to for them to get me my coffee. <laughs> so the book of Enoch, um, I want to be very clear, is not scripture, but it contains truth. And we know that because it's quoted in the Bible. Jude himself, verses fourteen and fifteen, the brother of Jesus, um, actually quotes the book of Enoch. It was a very popular book in the first century. Why is it not scripture? Because I think it also has portions of it that are not true. So we need to be very careful. I want to be clear. We don't want to violate the canon of scripture. But when you look at the first several verses in the prophecy of first Enoch, it actually says that God will come again from heaven and he will tread from heaven upon Mount Sinai. And you have all of this language. It says God will come with his holy ones to deal out vengeance against the wicked. And that's exactly what Jude himself quotes. This is actually the portion of Enoch, this prophecy that talks about God coming from heaven, landing on Mount Sinai, or marching from Sinai to Zion. That's actually what Jude quotes. And every Christian will acknowledge that when it talks about, in Jude, when it talks about Yahweh, God, the Lord coming, to deal out vengeance against the wicked and rewards for the righteous. Everyone knows that's about the return of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And, of course, uh, once again, uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, uh, BMW635, thank you for uh, the super chat. But why? Why BMW635? I mean, why not 525? Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's fascinating. Somebody says uh, this, this jives or matches Islamic eschatology. I doubt it. There is nowhere in Islamic eschatology that talks about the coming of God himself. Of course. I'm not aware of any. Uh, you know, it talks about the coming of Christ. Not in the Quran, of course, uh, in this detail. It talks about it in the Hadith. And a whole different, you know, second coming, if you wish. Yeah, I will say this, though. It, yeah. doesn't, it, it, it doesn't parallel Islamic eschatology, but there's a certain anti-parallel. So what I mean is this, is again, most Christians, they don't realize the return of Jesus is a complex, biblically speaking, it's a complex series of events. It describes in Isaiah 63, this majestic one marching from Edom, from the south, up from that region, and he's soaked in blood. He's soaked in the blood of his enemies. He's crushing his enemies like grapes. Revelation, of course, picks that up. But here's the thing, is when you look at Islamic eschatology, what it teaches is that Ad-Dajjal, the deceiver, the charlatan Messiah, would come back. He would claim to be God. He would claim to be Jesus. And he would be the greatest deception that Muslims would ever face. It says Muslims will go to sleep, a faithful Muslim, mm -hmm. but they'll wake up a follower of Ad-Dajjal. Right. And so they're actually taught that when this great deceiver comes, they will actually wage war against him with the Muslim Jesus, their version right. of Jesus, right. as well as uh, the Mehdi or, you know, sort of this awaited uh, savior figure. And they will kill this false Jesus. So here's the thing is when you look at, for example, Revelation 19, think about this. It talks about the rider on the horse bursting forth from heaven with his armies. And then it says the beast and the kings of the earth wage war against him. Well, what in the world are they thinking? Like, 
this man's just come forth from heaven. It's God Almighty, exactly what the scriptures describe. And they say, let's fight him? Mm-hmm. Unless they are under the delusion that this is the Antichrist, and they are prophesied, divinely destined to kill him. Mm-hmm. So there's a powerful delusion that causes the beast and the kings of the earth to fight against the real Jesus. And, of course, he slays them um, with the breath of his mouth and, and you know, buries them and sends them to the lake of fire. So it's a profound warning, really, for those that are under that prophetic tradition that came much, much later. That's right. And twists the whole thing on its head. Absolutely. And uh, and we'll continue with that. Of course, we have about maybe nine minutes left for the podcast uh, section. Again, I want to thank all of you here, especially our amazing moderators, Mariana, Jai, I see Protestant believer. And folks, here is a secret about Protestant believer. He's neither Protestant nor a Baptist, by the way, but he's a believer and he can handle the truth. Uh, So, with that in mind, uh, and, and BMW, by the way, thank you for clarifying. It's uh, a gift from your father, man. Uh, I, I won't say a word after that. You know, thank you so much. So, um, brother, um, did you touch on, you know, Adajal, for instance, in your book? Um, I, I talk about Adajal in my first book, um, mm-hmm. Islamic Antichrist. So I actually wrote that in 2003, originally. 2003, 2004. That was my first book. And... Um, that's available all over the place. But, yeah, it's amazing that that's been 16 years since that book came out, and it's all the more relevant today. It's helpful. if You know, a lot of Christians are not really aware of Islamic eschatology uh, and what does Islam teach about the end times. And so what I really did is I worked through um, every book that exists at the time in English. I don't speak or read Arabic or Farsi or anything, but, you know, I worked through all of the classic Islamic works on this, um, you know, Ibn Kathir, the signs of Kiyama and all of this, the signs of the day of judgment, as well as a lot of the popular books, sort of the, the Hal Lindsay's of the Islamic world. And I brought it all together in a real simplified form so that any Christian can understand what, what most Muslims are expecting in a general sense. And then I compare that to what the Bible says. And, and you know, to help Muslims to understand that their prophetic tradition is actually, it's deceiving them to actually set themselves up oftentimes as the enemies of God. If, if we are in the days, the last days, which I, I believe we're rapidly approaching, um, deception is the great warning. And Amen. so it's important that we arm ourselves with knowledge and understand whether or not we're on the right side. Yep. Hey, by the way, Micah Grace, I was just joking with Protestant believer. I always joke with him about that. So please don't spread the word that the guy is not Protestant, okay? So anyway, um, so brother, uh, what, uh, you know, what is the meat that someone will get out of this new book? We'll dig in uh, in tremendous detail to Deuteronomy 33, to Psalm 68. Oh, it's my new favorite psalm. Psalm 68 is amazing. Habakkuk 3, Isaiah 63. As I said, the passages in Isaiah 35 and 40 and 42 that talk about this desert in the highway. Prepare this desert in the highway for the king. It had partial fulfillment with the ministry of John the Baptist, but it has literal ultimate fulfillment with the return of the Messiah. Look, the return of Jesus is our blessed hope. The scriptures say that it is the anchor of hope for our soul. Um, You know, in the midst of the storms, we need an anchor. And I believe there's a lot of storms in the world right now. There are a lot of things that are shaking our spirits, all of us. Um, And and for those that have been locked in their houses, there's not a lot of distraction. You can only watch so much Netflix, right? And we need an anchor. We need something to root our hope into. And that's 
Look, this is biblical hope 101. And so if this is biblical hope, if the return of Jesus is what we're to fix our eyes on, then let's talk about it. Let's unpack it. Let's get excited about it. And that's what this book is. It's my hope that it will recover. This book will help the church recover the Maranatha cry. We're Amen. good We're good today with the hallelujah, with like the praise the Lord, but we've lost the Maranatha come Lord Jesus. And so that's my ultimate hope with the book. And I know it did it for me. Amen. Amen. Uh, the Real 575, thank you so much, by the way, for your super chat. Uh, Edmund, thank you for becoming a Patreon patron. Speaking of that, we're looking for... 100 patrons, so now we can say we're looking for 99. Uh, so thank you so much, um, Edmund, for becoming one of those. As far as how much uh, you can give, we'll leave it up to you. I mean, that's between you and God. We're not here to try to specify an amount, but the more patrons we get, the more partners, if you wish, we get, the more we are able to at least become more and more independent to do more videos. I mean, we're thankful that there are those who sacrifice a lot for us annually to give towards these video productions, but we want to also be mindful of the fact that things can happen like COVID. You know, things can impact people. At the same time, having more partners can allow us to continue the live streams and everything else. I'm bringing amazing authors and uh, brothers in Christ like Joel Richardson, which I am seeing a lot of positive comments, brother, about you. We're so thankful for that. Once again, brother, let people know uh, how can they connect with you? And we're going to have also the links right here uh, on the screen. So uh, you're looking for uh, partners through your website, you said? Well, yeah, my online, I can be found at joelstrumpet.com. That's kind of my uh, semi-outdated website. I need to update it a bit. But I'm usually messing around and making jokes um, on Twitter. That's Joel7Richardson. Everybody thinks, well, you're a Bible, biblical you know, commentator. You're not supposed to make jokes. So just know if you follow me on Twitter, half of everything I say is sarcasm. Yeah. It's a sign of end times when he's joking, by the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, folks, uh, again, if you're uh, listening right now to this uh, podcast, uh, we thank you, of course, uh, for doing so. Many of you have been partnered with us for the last almost, uh, you know, five and a half years now. Uh, we're into our sixth year, folks. Uh, and you can always go back to the archive of our radio show on my website, sierrainternational.com. In there, there is a section called Let Us Reason. And you can also listen to the archive through SoundCloud, through iTunes, through Omni Studio, just to name a few, by the way. I know some of you didn't realize that I've been doing a radio show. That's why I love uh, the name Let Us Reason. I do my live streams under that. We have video series that are going through that because I want my people to reason with the scripture, with the word of God, and be able to think for themselves other than to wrestle with the bondage that was imposed on them. So, brother, in the last maybe minute and a half or so before we wrap the uh, uh, you know, podcast, any last words uh, regarding prophecy in particular about the coming of Christ uh, that people need to be aware of? You know, and just in thinking of the messianic prophecies that we're talking about, I mentioned Psalm 2. It's amazing, you know, how it begins. It says, why do the Gentiles rage? Why is there so much rage in the earth, in the last days in particular? And then the psalmist really gets to the, the heart of the matter. He says, look, their ultimate rage is against Yahweh and against his Moshiach. It's against the Lord and against his anointed. It's against the Father and against the Son. And this is true, ultimately, among many of the radical Muslims throughout the, throughout the world, as well as the radical liberals, you know, they're raging, and they're not really sure what, but it's ultimately against God, against his Messiah. And I would just appeal to any that are listening, perhaps you don't have a relationship with the Lord. Um, there's nothing more freeing 
There's nothing more liberating than coming into alignment, coming into relationship with your creator. Amen. And um, especially as these days get darker, we want to be on the right side. And I know when I did, made that decision years ago, it was the best day of my life. And I know, or even the process of making that decision uh, is liberating. So I just want to end with that appeal. Amen. And of course, uh, in relationship to Muslims, while we understand that sometimes they look at Isaiah, passages in Isaiah and others, and they take it out of context and they apply it to their own Islamic eschatology, this is a great opportunity for you folks to connect him to the real Lord and the Lear, uh, the real Messiah and Savior. So uh, it's not about, you know, uh, arguing. It's about building that connection right away and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Again, uh, we are ready to wrap up our pod, uh, uh, podcast, I should say, Let Us Reason. Uh, for those of you who are joining us on a live stream, please stick around. Do not uh, leave us because once we wrap up the podcast, I'd like to still continue to interact with some of you in case you have any last-minute questions. And if you are listening to this podcast, this is part two of a series that we've done on Joel Richardson's new book, uh, From Sinai to Zion. This book is available on his website to purchase. It, you will receive it with his autograph. We encourage you to do so as a way of supporting him and his ministry. As always, we are blessed to have you as partners. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Zero International, and consider to become a partner through Patreon and become a Patreon patron. We are looking right now uh, to raise more partners, 100 to be specific. We just have one right now on the live stream, so we're looking for 99 more. You can give as much as the Lord put on your heart. Thank you for being part of our team. May the Lord bless you richly. Thank you, and God bless.